Uh, this morning, uh, as we are uh, getting into the word, our scripture reading is going to come from Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 16 through 20. I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles with me there, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, last week, as we were celebrating Easter, we read kind of from the first part of Matthew, where it tells us of Jesus's resurrection from the dead. We celebrated that good news, what it means for us. And we also read as part of that passage um, that the angels and even Jesus himself told the, the group of women who had ran to the tomb, the ones that first saw him there, they said, hey, now that you've seen me, now that you've experienced this, go and tell uh, the rest of the disciples to come and meet me, to go and meet Jesus in Galilee. And so our, our reading this morning kind of picks up, assuming that the women did exactly that. They went and they told the disciples, hey, Jesus wants to meet with you in Galilee. Uh, and the words that we read this morning uh, are Jesus's last words to his disciples in the book of Matthew. It's the last things that he says to them as he is uh, gathering with them as he prepares to ascend into heaven. And, and I think being last words makes these words pretty important, right? They're kind of like a, a final instructions that he's offering to his disciples, a closing pep talk to help prepare them for the time in which he wouldn't be with them anymore. Uh, these last words are something for them to hang on to, something to motivate them, something to give them direction. And so I, I invite them to hear them not only as those important words for the disciples, but for us this morning. And so reading here in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. To the end of the age. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. And so in 1989, uh, there was a movie that was released about an Iowa farmer who was inspired by a voice that he couldn't ignore, uh, caused him to pursue uh, a dream that he could hardly believe. Uh, Ray Kinsella, uh, played by Kevin Costner, hears this voice that says, if you build it, he will come. He's standing out in the cornfield. He's not sure what's going on. If you've seen the movie, he's like looking around. He's wondering what's going on. If you build it, he will come. And he begins to see this vision of a baseball field. And so he's inspired to build a baseball field right there in the middle of the cornfield. And after he builds it, you know, among all the different former baseball players that show up, including the White Sox shoeless Joe Jackson, uh, he sees the ghost of his father, John, who shows up. And it, they have this awesome opportunity to rekindle their relationship, uh, playing catch together out on the field before uh, a multitude of fans make their way to watch this baseball game. Uh, Field of Dreams is the name of the movie, if you couldn't remember. It was nominated for multiple awards, multiple Oscars. Uh, it's generally ranked as one of the best baseball movies of all time. And this catchphrase, uh, if you build it, he will come, has become one of those more well-known movie quotes within the 20th century. Uh, and not only was it a quote for this movie, but it, but it kind of became something that 
that really spurred on the American imagination as it relates to business. Uh, If you build it, they will come, became uh, a business mantra, an encouragement for dreamers everywhere, for entrepreneurs to go out and, hey, if if you can see it, if you can make it happen, people are going to show up. I don't know that it's worked out that well, um, but but it was a big a, a big push, a big move, and and not only was it big in businesses, but it, but it seems like for a lot of the 20th century, it was a big motivation for for churches as well. A primary way in which churches and Christians have tried to live out their faith, at least here in America. If if you build it, they will come. Right from 1930 to 1990, uh, over 70% of the people in America were members of a church. Uh, a church was an integral part of the 20th century American fabric. And, and it was simply true that if you built a church in a community, people would show up just because the church was there. And, and while this might sound quite wonderful on the face of it, uh, if you build it, they will come. The, the sentiment is, has not had... Uh, a whole lot of great lasting effects. Uh, It's not done a whole lot of good long-term for the church. And it's also not been all that great as we compare it with Jesus's actual instructions, right? When we hold up, if you build it, they will come to go and make disciples. We, We see, we hear that those two things don't exactly line up. In fact, it falls quite short. Now, for Christians in America, the if you build it, they will come mentality has left us impotent to the needs and the cries of people within 21st century America. And so as such, uh, church membership is around 45%. Only about 30% of the people who live in America attend church on a monthly basis. And so uh, if you build it, they will come. It may have worked in the movies, but it's failed in real life. And so if the the church in America, the church in Port Charlotte wants to have any kind of real impact in our community, within our country, within the world around us, uh, we kind of have to leave this, if you build it, they will come mentality behind and actually hear what Jesus instructs us to do and actually begin to do some of the things that Jesus taught. Uh, It's as though, this is the great theologian Karl Barth once said, every generation has to tell the story again. As though for the first time, we have to go, we have to tell, we have to share the good news of what God has done. And so this morning, uh, we're starting a new sermon series called Reveal, spreading the story of Jesus. And throughout this series, our goal is to take these words of Jesus seriously, uh, to discover how scripture calls us to live as Easter people to learn a set of practices that help us to tell this story of Jesus practices that embolden us to go and make disciples, not simply hope that people will show up, but actually go and to connect with people where their needs are, where their heart is, and to meet them there with the good news of Jesus. Uh, This is after all Jesus's instructions, all authority and heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The Reverend H.B. Charles, he tells the story uh, of the SS United States. Uh, Great 
liner uh, in 1940s. It was built uh, costing $78 million. It was the largest American-built ship and the fastest ship in the world. In fact, it, it ended up setting multiple transatlantic speed records during that time period. Uh, the government invested about $50 million into the projects, uh, and their plans were that it could be used to transport you know, upwards of 10,000 troops really quickly in a time of war. Well, the SS United States set sail in 1952. It broke all these different records, as I was saying, but it ended up never being used for its intended purposes. It was never used as a troop carrier. All that money just kind of went down the drain. Instead, it became a luxury liner that catered to wealthy patrons. It stopped operating as a passenger service in 1969 as air travel was taken off. And it's been docked at Pier 82 on the Delaware River in Philadelphia since 1996, where it's become a tourist attraction. It's changed ownership several different times uh, as nobody's really sure what to do with it. It just kind of sits there collecting rust. It never lived out its intended purposes. And maybe it had a great run for a while, but because it didn't meet its purpose, its objective, its mission, it's now become obsolete. As we hear Jesus' words in Matthew 28, uh, it makes it clear that for us as a church, uh, we are not supposed to be a luxury liner, but instead we are a troop carrier. It's a war vessel, not a tourist attraction. Right? The church has a mission that we've been given by Jesus. The last command of Jesus must be our first priority, not a place where we just sit and feel good about ourselves. But there's a mission that God has given us to carry out. And I want us to look again at these words of Jesus in Matthew 28, uh, 19, because sometimes when we talk about the church on mission uh, or even just using these words, the church is a war vessel. It, it gets kind of confused. We as the church get confused. I want us to say, I want us to see Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? Go make disciples. He doesn't say go and try to change the world by convincing people to vote for your favorite politician, right? right? Like that's not our mission. Our, our mission as the church is not to get this person or this party elected or this person or this party elected. That's not what Jesus gave to us. Sure. I mean, you've got somebody you like vote your conscience, but that's not our primary objective. Notice Jesus doesn't say, go and get on Facebook or, or Instagram and, and argue with everybody who disagrees with you or everybody that you think might be wrong. Because sometimes I, I feel like that's what we think our primary objective is as a church. We, we go on there and be like, well, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. And we just get in all of these battles and all of these engagements and they don't quite accomplish really anything that's good. Right? What Jesus says is go and make disciples. Go. And be intentional about having conversations with people that are going to draw them closer to Jesus. Go and share the story of Jesus with people in a way that, that makes them intrigued to know more. Go tell other people about what God has done for you. Let, let them hear the good news of how God has been a part of your life. Go and live in such a way that the people see the joy of the Holy Ghost within you and that they are drawn to Jesus because of it. Go teach people through your words and through your actions what it looks like to follow Jesus. 
I mean, this is, this is the goal of our sermon series over the next six weeks. It's to develop the kind of practices that will empower us to follow Jesus' command. And in our midweek study uh, on Wednesdays at 6.15, uh, we're going to take a time to dive into them a little bit more, to, to have conversation about what this looks like, to talk about how I actually can apply these things within my life. And so this morning I'm going to start, I'll give us a little bit of a, an overview of these six practices, and then we'll talk about the first one. Uh, a little bit, but the, uh, the six key practices are this, uh, it kind of goes with the acronym reveal. The first one is to repeat, right? Repeat the story, Re- repeat the core message, repeat the rest of the practices. It's to know and to understand that, that this isn't like a one-time thing that I do, but this is an ongoing part of my life. This is who I am. I'm, I'm telling this story of Jesus. I'm living the story of Jesus each and every day. I'm engaging in these practices every day as a part of my life as I'm following Jesus's command for me. And, and I'm doing it not only for the sake of others, but, but I'm doing it for myself as well, that, that I gain strength, that I feel empowered as I talk about what God has done for me. Uh, the second thing is to educate yourself in the biblical message, right? If you're going to repeat the story, uh, it's important for us to learn it well. And so uh, many people get involved in whether it's a Sunday school class or a small group or a Bible study, it helps us to learn to know what it is that I'm talking about. Like when I, when I say I believe in Jesus, what do I mean by that? We just had our sermon series as we walk through Apostles Creed so that we could help learn and know What it means to say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, that there's a God who loves and who cares for me, who desires to be in relationship with me as his child, Uh, to to know what it means to call Jesus Lord, to understand how he he suffered, how he struggled, how he was tempted in every way so that he understands, he gets me, he knows what I'm going through and he can lead and help me through it. It's important for us to to learn and to understand, to, to continue to educate ourselves. We have a we have a New Testament professor on, on staff here at the church. He, he leads the music at our traditional worship service. Uh, and, and I bet he would say, even after years and years and years of study, I mean, this is his full-time job that he's doing, that, uh, that he hasn't quite exhausted everything that there is to know. And, and he keeps writing books, so he, he must not have, right? I mean, there, there's an ongoing writing of books and releasing of them. So there's always a way in which we can learn and grow. Uh, the third key practice is to verify the gospel with your life. Your life should point to the truth of Jesus. And too oftentimes, I think like our, our lives don't always do that. Honestly, if you think about it, if you're somebody that's uh, kind of grumpy and mean, nobody's going to want to know what you know or have what you have. It, it really doesn't speak to the hope of salvation that we have in Jesus. I don't mean that if you're sad or if you're going through a hard time or if you're dealing with some grief, I mean, those things are a part of life. I mean, if, if at times, if you're just a jerk to people, if you can't handle something and so you unload on somebody, you're going to have a harder time making a disciple of Jesus if you just treat somebody with love and respect, if you could just treat somebody with, with kindness and compassion, the same way in which Christ has treated us. And if you know what, if you do happen to lose it and blow up on somebody to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I lost it the other day. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that's not who I'm trying to be. I'm sorry about that. That, that speaks to your character, to your quality. It speaks to what God is doing in you. 
So we verify the gospel with our ethics, with our life. The, the fourth thing is to explain your encounter with the gospel. Be able to tell your story. Be able to tell others about what Jesus has done for you. If you've been a part of one of our new members' small groups, or our new member classes, that's one of the things that we do is we, we have people gather in groups of about four or five and tell their story. Tell somebody else what God has done for you. Tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. How is God present, working and active in your life now? How have you seen God work in the past? Because that's going to not only encourage you, but it's going to give something that you can share with others. I mean, we need to be able to tell others about what Jesus has done for us in this safe space inside of a church where if you stumble over your words or, or you misspeak or you say something wrong, people are still going to love you anyways. So that whenever you go out into the rest of the world, when, when you're talking to your neighbor or your coworker and you're telling them about Jesus, it's not the first time you've, you've done it before. You know what it is and you can speak it with peace and with grace grace and with confidence. The fifth, the fifth uh, practice that we'll talk about is to attend to the Holy Spirit's nudging, to the Holy Spirit's prodding. And this one's important because there will be times in your life when the Holy Spirit will, will kind of give you a, a, an idea, an insight to go and to, to talk with this person. Or, or maybe God will put somebody on your heart or mind and say, hey, you should call them. You should check on them. Uh, you should go and speak to them. Uh, and, and it's an opportunity that God is placing in front of you to share the good news of Jesus with somebody in, in the right moment, in the right space, in the right time. I mean, I had to confess uh, to our men's Bible study group a couple of weeks ago that I had missed or that I, I had ignored this nudging of the Holy Spirit because it happens sometimes. Like I, I knew the guy was saying, hey, uh, you need to go and have a faith conversation with this person. You need to go and talk to them. You need to follow up with them. You need to, to tell them uh, or invite them. And instead, I just kind of went in my house and, and closed the door. And just kind of ignored it. I don't know if I was like nervous, if I was like uh, kind of scared about it. If, I, I don't know what was going on, but I, I ignored it. And so I just kind of had to confess and say, guys, like I, I missed it. Right? The, the Holy Spirit was, was leading me to go and to speak to this person. And instead of following, I, I didn't. And so I just have to pray at this point that another opportunity arises where I can, where I can follow through the next time. Uh, but what we'll talk about in a few weeks is, it's how we can be good listeners and doers when the Holy Spirit moves. Like how we can listen and know, hey, this is, this is God speaking to me. And how do I follow when God says to go? And, and then the sixth practice is to listen to others' beliefs and doubts. Right? To be able to listen. Uh, one of the best things that we can do as followers of Jesus and being able to tell the story of Jesus is to listen to others. To, to be able to hear their needs, their concerns, to be able to know what's going on within their lives. This is part of the respect that builds the kind of connection where people feel comfortable hearing from you. Uh, my, my wife, whenever she was in college, she was a part of a group called Young Life. Uh, we have a great Young Life organization actually here in Charlotte County. But one of the key components of Young Life is that you have to earn the right to be heard. Uh, when I was doing youth ministry, one of the great youth ministry uh, leaders in our country, he would always talk about and say, um, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right? Listening, uh, building connection, building respect between you and somebody else gives them the, the interest, the chance for you to be able to share the good news about Jesus. And I don't, 
I don't mean just kind of faking it, right? I mean, truly listen, truly love and care for the person in a way that enables you to be able to want them to hear and know the good news of Jesus. Taken together, uh, these six practices help us to live out Christ's commission for us. They, they help us to live out this mission that Jesus has called us as his followers to, to go and to tell the world the good news about Jesus. And this first practice we'll just kind of touch on a little bit this morning is repeat. Right? To again, say that this is a way of life for us, not something that we just casually try out and give up on, but it becomes a part of who we are. Right? We are always continuing to learn and grow, to grow in our faith and understanding. We are constantly living in a way that speaks to the truth of the good news of Jesus, striving to live as Jesus did. We are repeatedly sharing the story of what God has done for us, not only for uh, the sake of others, but for our sake. We are always listening for the Holy Spirit's voice to lead us, to guide us, to give us direction. We commit to these practices and we repeat them. The, the second thing that repeat means uh, is something for me that I find a little bit comforting, right? To repeat the story means that it means that the idea that I'm going to share the story of Jesus with somebody and that on the spot they're going to say yes and everything's going to be great and the angels will shout and come down and the trumpets will blast and all this other stuff uh, or or they'll say no and that means that I've somehow failed. Uh, that that's not really the reality of the way that it works. I feel like this idea that I have to repeat the story, that I have to continue to tell it over and over, that it comes in connection and relationship over time, kind of takes the pressure off. I think sometimes we aren't as active in sharing our faith with others because we're afraid of failure. Right? Like what happens? What happens if I tell somebody what God has done for me and then they brush it off or they say no? What happens if I invite somebody uh, to church or to my small group or to something else and they say no? What does that, what does that mean for me? Does that mean that I messed up? I didn't do a good enough job? Like that, that somehow I was wrong in it? Uh, or, or what if, what if I do forget an important part? Like what if I leave something out, right? It, it takes the pressure off. Uh, one of the things that the people who study this have found is that most people don't make decisions based on, on one-time conversations. I mean, certainly it happens. Somebody hears the good news of Jesus and, and they're all in and they're ready to go. But most of the time, somebody hears a little bit about Jesus and then they hear a little bit more and then they hear a little bit more. They hear about how God has made a difference in your life, how, how being a part of a community has impacted you, how you've felt that sense of support over time, how you've felt a sense of strength as you've relied on Jesus, how when you were going through something that was challenging and you prayed about it and God showed up and gave you peace in the midst of that, people over time hearing these stories are drawn into it a little bit more. The, the pressure is off of you to get it perfect. It's just to be able to tell it. And ultimately, the other part of the good news is that, that it's not really up to you whether or not somebody says yes or no. Right? Like, that's not our job. One of, my, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, it's one I have to hold on to quite a bit. It's in John chapter 1. It's John the Baptist that's talking. And, and the other religious leaders, they come up to him and they ask him. They say, you know, hey, hey John, are, are you the Messiah or is there somebody else? And he's like... It's like, I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. And that, that's important for me because I have to remind myself, like, I'm not the one. Like, I'm not the Savior. That's not the role that I've been given. That's not the job. Like, I don't save people. All I can do is point to the one who does. 
I, I could point to the one and say, hey, this guy, Jesus, you know, he saved me. He, he changed me. He's made an impact in my life. Uh, and, and tell others about that. Paul says it this way in Romans 10 and verse 13 and 14. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone to proclaim him, right? Our job, our role is just to proclaim, to, to tell the good news of what God has done, to tell that story of what Jesus has done for us. And then we share it and we share it and we share it. And then we let God do the work in the person's life. We share, we share, we pray, we love, and then we allow God to do that work. And the final part this morning, what it means to repeat that core message is that, that we ourselves need to repeatedly hear and know and remember what God has done for us. Uh, we, we need to remember ourselves, repeat it for our own sake, what God has done for us, so that it might encourage us, so that it might give us strength. You know, a part of the exercise that we do in our new member class uh, is an exercise we call remembering our stones. And we, we look back on the story in the book of Joshua as Joshua and the children of Israel, they're, they're preparing to walk across the Jordan River uh, to make it into the promised land. Only they can't, can't really walk across the Jordan River. It's too wide. It's too deep. They would never make it. And so they're praying, they're praying. And so God says, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to have the, the priests, the, the leaders of each of the tribes. They're going to step out into the waters carrying the ark, carrying uh, you know, your, your holy artifacts of where I'm present among you, the symbol of my presence with you. And as you step out into the river, the waters are going to dry up. They're going to part and you'll be able to walk across. And as you walk across, I want each of the leaders of each of your tribes, all 12 of them, to grab a huge stone that's in the middle of this river and to carry it across and to set it on the other side, to stack it together, to make a monument and a memorial. And they do this and they do as God says, and they build up this monument there on the side of the Jordan River. And God says, I want you to do this so that every time you see this, you can be reminded of what I've done for you. So you can tell your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. And so whenever they see these, they'll say, oh, what do these, what do these rocks mean? What does this monument mean? What does this memorial mean for us? And you can tell them, well, when God was leading us through the through the, the wilderness as he was leading us into the promised land. He parted the waters that enabled us to enter into the promised land. You can look back and remember how God has acted in the past. That way you can have confidence and faith and trust that he's going to be able to do it again. Now, we repeat the story not only so that others can know it, so that they can hear it. Now, we repeat it for ourselves so that we can find strength and encouragement, so that we can find hope and peace and joy, trusting that the God who has already acted in the past will continue to do so for us again. We remember it, we repeat it, and we share it. And this is a part of how we live out this great commission of what God has called us to do, uh, to, to go and all the world and make disciples. And so this morning, I would just invite you to think about for a moment, you know, how has God been active in your life? What has God done for you? Uh, what has, what has Jesus done for you? How has he saved you? How has he transformed you? How has he been there for you in, in good times and in bad times? What are the ways in which God has blessed you? Uh, what are the ways in which you know that you know that it was God who showed up in your life? To remember that, to reflect on that, to take it to heart. And I would invite you just to tell somebody about it. 
You know, tell, uh, tell your spouse, tell your friend, uh, tell somebody else who's a part of the church, tell somebody in a Sunday school group, in a small group, tell somebody somewhere this week one thing that God has done for you. Let us pray together. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you uh, for all the ways in which you are at work within our lives, for all the things that you've done in the past, and for all that we know that you're going to continue to do. Uh, Lord, we pray that we might be uh, emboldened and empowered by your Spirit's work within us, so we might live lives that are filled with your peace and your joy and your hope. And we pray that we might hear this, this mission that Jesus has given us, this command that he's given us, and that we might follow. We pray that you would Give us uh, a sense of passion for those who are distant and disconnected from you. We pray that we would be burdened as we uh, see and hear about those around us who are hurting, those who are in need. And we might be moved to action. We might be able to offer the hope and the healing of Jesus to the people within our community and around the world. Lord, we pray that you would do this work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.